if you got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you've been with us. Uh, the past few weeks, or really through, through the month of January, we've been primarily in 2 Kings. I know uh, Pastor Braden journeyed into the New Testament with you last week, and uh, we're, we're going to be back in 2 Kings. Um, again, so grateful for, for everybody, for your support, for having my back and our back. Um, I got to preach last week, uh, just not on Sunday morning. Uh, last Thursday night, I preached my mom's funeral, um, and it was, uh, I, I can honestly say, the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and, and it wasn't the delivery of the funeral that was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was the preparation of the funeral that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Because um, there was a, a, a lot of tension of, how, how am I going to talk about my mom? Um, there, there's a public Marilyn Souden that, that people know. And then there's the Marilyn Souden at home that we know, uh, and, and I've got both groups there. I've got the family that knew her intimately and, and the church family that knew her publicly, and it's like, how do I honor her? How do I speak uh, justly about her while also not, um, not speaking inauthentically with the family there, if that makes sense? And it was a very, uh, man, it, it kicked my butt. If I'm being honest, I, I texted, in fact, a number of our men from Man Up and a, a couple of the other guys and just, uh, man, I asked for prayer. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever texted that many people asking for prayer as I was preparing to speak, but I was, um, it, it, it was painful. It was stressful. It was, there was a tension there. And so um, my thing that I've said to a number of people who, who have asked, you know, how did it go, and uh, is to sum it up is this way. I'm, I'm glad that I did it. I knew I was supposed to do it. I had unsafe family who was there, uh, people, who, people who need Jesus. Like everybody needs Jesus, and then you got some family members that really need Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You got those family members too. Don't look at me like you think you're better than me. Uh, right, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so so th- th- there was people there that, that needed Jesus, not just my family, but others. Um, that some of my parents' clients came, some, some other people from the community. Um, so I'm really glad that I did it, and I'm so glad that it's over. Uh, like, so glad that I never have to do it again, right? Um, and so it's done. Uh, I'm excited to speak to you today. I'm excited to continue in our Make Room series. My, my plan, and I say my plan because I, I leave open a little bit of room that God may have a different plan, but I think this is his plan, is starting next week, we're going to continue in Make Room, but we're going to shift uh, from kind of more of a general, the principles of making room to more specifics about different areas to make room. Like, how can we make room in this, what do we need to make room for? Uh, so we're, we're finishing up the foundation for this year, not just for this series, but, but what God wants to do in our church, what God wants to do in our lives. Finishing it up today, and then next week we're going to start looking at some real specific things that I believe God wants us uh, to make room in. So with all that being said, we're going to start today in 2 Kings chapter 6. I referred to this passage um, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we, we read the story of Naaman, of this general in the Aramean army uh, who got leprosy, who comes to Elisha, the man of God in Israel, for his healing. Uh, and we talked about how, how God loves you despite your past, but God even loves you despite your future. Like God's going to meet you where you're at, even knowing the bad things you're going to do. The, the, the promises to him you're going to make that you're not going to keep, right? Like he meets us right where we're at, even knowing our future. Well, that blows my mind. Like it's one thing to love somebody despite their past. It's another thing to love them knowing that they're going to betray you in the future. But that's the God that I serve. 
That's, that's the God that we have. And so we're going to see a little bit of that evil future, even though Naaman is not specifically named in this text. We can infer that he's a part of it because it's going to be the, the army of Aram that is committing these, these, these atrocities against Israel. So pick up the story with me. We're going to start uh, in verse 32. Sorry, let me summarize real quick. What's happening here is Israel is under siege. Uh, the, the army of Aram has come and has surrounded Samaria, the capital of Israel, and is preventing any food from getting in, any supplies from getting in. They're, they're flying a spy balloon over Samaria to see what's going on, right? They're, they're doing all the things. Okay, that's not true, but uh, you feel me? Got to be relevant to the culture, right? Uh, so uh, Samaria doesn't have the missile to blow the, spot, the, the balloon down. Uh, so so they're, they're suffering. In fact, they're suffering so badly that something that we can relate to is happening, mass inflation. Uh, it talks about how, how stuff is, is costing so much more than it should cost because what's happening now is there's a scarcity. There, there's a limited amount of food. There's a limited supply. And so all that stuff is supply and demand, right? Economics is, is even biblical. Like we see this all the way back then. As the supply went down, the price went up. Uh, and so they're suffering mass inflation. They're suffering starvation. In fact, it's so bad that a woman comes to the king and she shares her story. She said, yesterday a lady came to me and said, let's eat your son and tomorrow we'll eat my son. And so they ate lady number one's son and then lady number two decided tomorrow, you know what, I'm good. We're not going to eat my son. This is bad. This is crisis mode. This is like demonic evil levels of, of, of hardship that they're suffering right now. Uh, and so there's uh, the, all this going on. We're going to pick the story up uh, in verse 32. It says, now Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead. But before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? So, so the king had decided that this, this disaster is from God, didn't take responsibility on himself, it wasn't his army's fault, it wasn't his poor planning, didn't have anything to do with his disobedience to God. He said, God is doing this to us, and he decided to take it out on the man of God. Don't we do some of this sometimes, man? When, when we bring self-inflicted pain, when we walk in disobedience, the Bible says when we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap from the flesh. So this evil king of Israel who doesn't serve God, doesn't honor God, when the calamity strikes, he turns to blame God for what's going on. And he decides, you know what, he, he said, let God deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow, Elisha still has his head attached to his shoulders. He said, I, I'm going to make Elisha pay for what God is doing rather than recognizing, humbling himself, crying out to God for help. So, so there's a lot going on here. So he sends, the king's messenger comes to Elisha's house. Uh, Elisha gets a word from God, says to the elders, man, this murderer sent somebody to cut off my head. Look when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him. While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. And the king said, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I wonder who today is here who's wondering why you should wait for God any longer. You're in a rough season. You're in a difficult spot. The healing hasn't come. The deliverance 
hasn't come. The provision hasn't come. Maybe you're not like this evil, wicked king. Maybe you've actually been standing and believing and pursuing God and asking God for provision. But it hasn't shown up yet. And that voice starts to creep up in your mind. Why should I wait for God anymore? Why should I do things God's way when God's way isn't working? Maybe it's time I took things in my own hands. Maybe it's time I started dating somebody who wasn't a Christian because I can't find that mate who does serve God. Maybe I'm going to step outside of what God has for me. Maybe it's time I, I stop honoring him in my finances and I start dipping into a little bit of the money at work when nobody's looking. And I'm going to make sure that I meet my, my, my financial needs, that I get them taken care of. Maybe it's time I start doing things my way instead of God's way. Why should I wait for God any longer? That's you today. I want to encourage you. God is never late. He's just very rarely early. God is always on time. But man, he likes to wait till the last minute sometimes. Which I'm a last minute person, so I respect that. Right? I, I get that. Uh, I identify with that. I am made in the image of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All the procrastinators said, right? Just kidding. But, but God shows up on time. He's just not always early. Flipping over to chapter 7, we start. Here, verse 1, it says, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. God speaks through Elisha. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. And none of us in this room know anything of what he's talking about, right? Like, that, that means absolutely nothing to us. Well, earlier in the passage, it said how expensive these things were, and it was much higher than that. He's saying there's going to be plentiful, bountiful provision. There's going to be so much that in one day, prices are going to drop significantly. That one day, God's going to reset the economy. God's going to provide for his people. You're going to have more than enough because that's the God who I serve. He's never late. He's not often early. He said, about this time tomorrow, this will happen. Verse 2, the officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, how could this happen? He doubts that even God is able to keep God's word. God always keeps God's word. He is always capable. So Elisha says, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Guy had a, a heart that doubted God. Sometimes there's, there's the response that, that questions God. I don't, I don't understand how this will work. Uh, we, we can see this comparison in, in the New Testament in the Christmas story. Right? So, so God sends an angel to speak to two people to tell them about two pregnancies. Both of them respond asking how, but God deals with those two people in very different ways. Zechariah responds, how could this be? My wife's too old. We can't have a baby. What are you talking about? God strikes Zechariah silent. He takes away his ability to speak for nine months. Why? Because Zechariah didn't have a question for God. Zechariah questioned God. You know there's a difference. You can ask God questions or you can question God. You can have a heart that says, God, I believe, I just don't understand. Help me understand and God's going to meet you where you're at. Or you can have a heart that says, nope, that ain't happening. So Zechariah responded with questioning God. Mary, on the other hand, had almost the exact same question. Angel shows up. And, and let, let's be honest, what's harder? Is it harder for someone who's too old to have a baby to have a baby or for somebody who's never been with somebody to have a baby? What's the greater miracle? 
It's not Zachariah's miracle. Zachariah's miracle is big. It's awesome. But we see people sometimes who are a little too old. Like, How did that? They have a kid, right? Like I got, I got a cousin that's pregnant right now. She's 45. It's like, man, that, that, that's, that's not mathing, right? That doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to happen that way. She didn't expect it. But God can do it. So, so, so an, el- an older person having a baby might not make sense, but it's at least humanly possible. Somebody who's never been with a dude having a baby, that can't happen. Only one time in history, right? And so Mary gets the bigger news of the bigger miracle of the thing that makes less sense. And she says the same thing. She says, how is this possible? But God says, you are highly favored. God encourages her. She doesn't lose the gift of speech. Why? Because Zechariah had a heart that questioned God, but Mary had a heart that just had a question for God. God, I'm, I'm yours. Use me however you want to. I just, I don't understand. This doesn't add up for me. Help me understand what your plan is, God, because I want whatever your plan is. So what happens here is this man is not just simply asking a question. He's speaking from a heart that doubts God. And so Elisha says, you're going to see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to have any benefit from it. Verse 3, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here? Until we die. Now, again, we talked about leprosy a few weeks ago, but they, they lived in colonies outside of the city. The only people they could be around were other lepers. Nobody else wanted to get close to them. Nobody else wanted to touch them. They, they had to, to live off the scraps from the city that they would provide. They couldn't even get their own food. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, well, the famine is there and we will die. They're not even worried about the people in the city killing them which is normally what would happen if a leper went into the city. They know the, the city's too weak. They can't even shut us down. We could go into the city, but there's just no food there. He said, and if we stay here, we will die because there ain't no food getting to us from the city. We have no sources. These men realize something that may not encourage you today, but I hope that it does by the time our message is over. They had an epiphany, a discovery that every one of us in this room needs to have, and that is this. You are going to die. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Pastor went and preached his mama's funeral, now he's talking about everybody going to die. Uh, turn to your neighbors. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you are going to die. Now I know there's an asterisk on that. Unless Jesus comes back while we're alive and we get raptured. And okay, yes, I understand that. But for however many generations of Christian history, everybody who's read this passage has passed away. Chances are those of us in this room are going to die. Our life on this earth is going to end the way that we know it, one way or the other. Right? And that may not seem encouraging today. But I hope it will be liberating for you. Because so many of us live a life that falls short of what God has designed for us because we're so worried about hanging on to what we have, we can never discover what else God has. Right? It's not just physical death that we fight against, that we resist. It's, it's these little deaths that may come in if we'll step out of our comfort zone, if we'll step out in faith, if we'll take that step that God is inviting us to enter into a worship at a level we've never worshipped before, to get in the Word in a consistent way we've never gotten in the Word before, to open our mouth and share our faith with somebody, even knowing they might reject us, they might not respond, the words might not come out the best possible way. 
There's so many things God is calling us to, and so often we don't step out in them because we're just concerned, what happens if I fail? These guys had a revelation. It didn't matter what they did, they were going to die. So why not take a chance? Man, I came here today to dare you, to challenge you to take a chance for God. To begin making room in your life that you know what? I'm going to step beyond what I know will work. I'm going to start stepping into what I don't know if it will work. But I feel like God's leading me there. And if I fall on my face, if I fail, if it doesn't work, that's okay. Because God's going to pick me up. But I'm not going to stay where I'm at and choose to wait until I die. I'm going to step out and live. They looked at each other and they said, we're going to die. The truth is, church, you and I are going to die. The question is, are we going to live? Every one of us is going to die, but not every one of us is going to live. Don't let that be you. Don't let you be the one who never truly lives. The abundant life, the fulfilling life, the freeing life, the passionate life that God has designed you. They said this, they said, so let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. We can't go back to the city with our people. There's no food there. We can't stay where we are. There's no food here. There's death here. There's death here, there. We're going to go to the enemy, which should be the place where death is most likely, and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. Now, I don't know what their plan is, but I, I imagine they're not going over to the enemy saying, hey, we're lepers. Uh, can we hang out here? Uh, I, I imagine they're going in clandestine, like, hey, we're just some regular old Jews. Uh, we're just some Sumerians that, you know, like, now they're going to infect the whole Aramean army and become heroes. I don't know. Uh, but, but they decided we're going to take a risk. We are going to take a chance. Today's message, part five of our Make Room series is this, making room to take a chance for God. Making room to take a chance for God. Verse 7. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. So the next morning, this had happened on the same day. They had this conversation that, that Elisha had had the messenger come from the king. And he told uh, the, the man, the officer next to the king, he said, by this time tomorrow, there will be so much food that all the prices go down, right? So this is that day that Elisha has prophesied. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the end of the camp, not a man was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. Do you catch that? God doesn't even need to send help to defeat your enemies. God just needs to send the sound of help to defeat your He didn't even have to call in a favor from some, uh, some surrounding armies. God didn't have to rally up some people and say, hey, go rescue my people. God just had to cause the sound of rescue, and that's all it took. So God had caused the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. I imagine God sitting up in heaven, chilling on his lazy boy with his sound bar and his surround sound. Right? And God pulls open his Spotify playlist. He's like, what, what am I going to play today? And he starts scrolling. And he's like, Brandon Lake. He's like, man, that's good. 
Praise God for Brandon Lake. He's walking in the anointing. Now, you may like, okay, this is 3,000 years ago. Brandon Lake didn't exist yet. God exists outside of time. So he already had worship from today 3,000 years ago, so don't give me your, your facts. Um, okay? So God scrolls past that, and then he goes by, by Hillsong, and he goes by Elevation Worship. And then he comes to City Church Worship, and he's like, ooh. He's like, that's good. He's like, we're just going to play this for a minute. We're going to get their, their, their playlist up. We're going to get their views up, their streams up just a little bit. So God doesn't have to rush. God isn't constrained by time, so he doesn't have to fly by City Church Worship. So he just enjoys some oh, holy one for a moment. Uh, he gets, gets in the, I was going to say in the presence of God, but he's already in the presence of God. Uh, gets in the presence of self, I don't know. Uh, and uh, he enjoys that for a moment. Then he says, okay. He starts scrolling again. And then he sees, oh, that's it. That's the track I'm looking for. The sounds of chariots and horses and a great army. And he takes a sip out of his Mountain Dew because there's no sugar in heaven. There's no calories in heaven. So he can do that and not worry about what is going to affect him, right? Uh, and he hits play. And the Aramean army hears surrounding chariots and horses around the camp. And they panic. They freak out. Look what happens. Says, so they said to one another, look, the king of Israel, go back, sorry, back to verse 6. Yep, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. They decide, I don't even know how they decided it's the Hittites and the Egyptians. I don't know if, like, God, like, sprinkled in some, some Egyptian language and some Hittite language in there. So they heard somebody talking or those are just the two armies that they feared the most and they were most paranoid about. But somehow they didn't, they didn't just decide there was an army coming, but they know which armies it was. Uh, and they were, maybe it's just the directions they were coming from. I don't know. But they lose it and they panic, verse 7. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, they were so scared they didn't even hop on a horse to get safe. They just ran. Now, you can do the math. How much further are you going to get running on foot? Like, that, that doesn't make sense. But when you're panicked, you're not thinking the smartest thing. You ever watch a scary movie? They do stupid things, right? Like, you're, you're not using your bright, the greatest part of your brain when somebody's coming after you. So they do the dumb thing. They leave everything. They left the camp exactly as it was and ran for their lives. Verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank, and I'm talking about, you thought the Daniel fast, potluck was something last Sunday night, right? Like these dudes were starving. They had not just had Daniel fast food for 21 days. They had had nothing for a long time. They threw down on some Aramean army food. And they didn't just throw down, they carried away silver, gold, and clothes. Now remember, this is interesting to me. If we go back to our story of Naaman, what did they come to bribe God with, God's man with, they brought silver, gold, and clothes. So apparently clothes were valuable in the Aramean culture. Uh, this is a big deal. It says, and they went off and hid them. And they went back and they made their little stash. They buried it like, hey, this is for me. we we'll make sure that I got mine. They returned and entered another tent and took some, took some things from it and hid them also. Verse 9, then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. This is a day of gospel. God has delivered his people. God has done what God does. He has shown up. He has saved. He has rescued. This is good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. 
don't know about you, but when I read that sentence, it brings me some conviction. How often are we guilty of having a day of good news that we keep to ourselves? We know the answer. We know the rescue. We know the provision. We know the one who has come to save, who has shown up, who has delivered. And so often we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of what God has done for us as we should. But we keep it to ourselves. They got convicted. God spoke and said, yes, this is for you, but it's not just for you. It's for the rest of the city. It's for those who need to hear it. They had a heart for the others, and these are others who had rejected them. These are others who had cast them out. These are others who didn't care about them, weren't thinking about them, weren't looking out for them. But they understood that God's provision was for them too. day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves if we wait until daylight punishment will overtake us they'll find out and we will be judged let's go at once and report this to the royal palace i think god's church needs an urgency i think god's church needs a let's go at once mentality when it comes to the good news that man i can't wait to get this out i can't put this off any longer this has got to get out of me and get to the lost the hurting the broken who need access to what jesus has done for them so let's go at once and report it to the royal palace verse 10 so they went and they called out to the city gatekeepers and they told them, we went into the Aramean camp and not a man was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Look at this king. This messed up, broken, jacked up king. Verse 12. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. This bro's paranoia knows no bounds. God provides. God answers. Now, that might even be a normal, natural response. But he had just heard from the man of God yesterday what God's going to do. He didn't give the details. God doesn't usually give the details. He just gives the result. Man, you're going to have more than enough. I'm going to provide. He had just gotten the promise from God. And even with the promise from God, he said, nope, I ain't falling for this. I'm too smart for this. <laughs> Paranoia. Verse 13, one of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all those Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happens. So in other words, the officer doesn't have any faith either. He's like, we got to scout it out, so send five dudes with some horses, and we'll sacrifice them, and it ain't really that big a sacrifice because they're going to die anyway. Right? He had the same revelation, but he didn't say, send me and four other dudes. He said, send them. They can go die. We'll stay here and die. Hit 14. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go find out what happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan River, and they found out. The whole, or they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. 
So the messengers returned and reported to the king. So they tracked him. They saw everywhere we go. I mean, they're they're just throwing stuff overboard. They're like, man, this jacket is too heavy. I got to run a little faster. They're taking this off. They're kicking everything off to get away as quickly as they can in their panic. Verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of flour sold for a shekel. Two seas of barley sold for a shekel, just as the Lord had said. Verse 17. Now the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, just as God had foretold when the king came down to his house. Excuse me, as the man of God had foretold. Verse 18, it happened as the man of God has said to the king. About this time tomorrow, a sea of flour was sold for a shekel, two seas of barley was sold for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, how could this happen? The man of God replied, you will see it with your own eyes, but you'll not understand it. And that is exactly what happened. For the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. Crazy story. We got moms eating their kids. We, we, we got a city under siege. We got people questioning God. We got incredible supernatural provision. We got God listening to city church worship. Right, we got a lot of stuff. It's all here in this story. It's all happening. Okay, maybe not the last part. But he listened to it this morning, and he loved it. He delighted in it this morning. Take a chance. These men recognized they were going to die. And rather than stay there where they were, where it was comfortable, where it was normal, where they, at least they felt, I know the way things work, they decided it's worth it to take a risk. It's worth it to step out in faith. It's worth it to take a chance. Maybe the chance blows up in our face. Maybe we get our heads cut off. Maybe this blows up and we look at each other and say, what were we thinking? But it's worth the risk to take a chance. I want to challenge you God's people to take a chance. To take a risk and be used by God. What if these four lepers had not gone out to the camp? How long would it have taken Samaria to realize that God had delivered, that God had provided? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe God would have raised somebody else up to go out there. Maybe somebody else would have been able to be the hero of the story. But these four were the ones who were bold enough, who dared to take the risk to say, we're going to die. Why don't we try and live? Why don't we take a shot to see what might happen, what God might be able to do? I want to encourage you. God's people to take a chance and be used by God. You see, the enemy uses fear to keep us right where we're at. He uses fear of death itself. He uses fear of those little deaths like we talked about. What, what if I start lifting my hands in worship? What will people think of me? I remember, man, when I was in middle school before I took the step to start worshiping and lifting my hands in worship. That was a, I don't want to know that. I don't want people to look at me like that. I don't want to be the weird Christian. And yet when I did, I experienced so much freedom and so much life and so much power in the presence of God. Maybe for you, you haven't lifted your voice. Maybe for you, you kind of mumble your way through the words, but you're not really there yet. Maybe for you, you've never bowed in God's presence. Man, and, and there's that fear. What, what if I do? What if the enemy will use it two ways, too? Because one will be, what, what do people think of me? Like, what, what, what do people think, that I'm weird, that I'm too, too oversaved, that I'm too super spiritual? Or you'll think, but they know who I really am. 
And I'm not good enough to worship God like that. They'll think that I'm a poser. They'll think that I'm faking something. Mary Magdalene was a prostitute who Jesus had rescued. And she got down on her knees and washed God's feet with her hair and got judged for it. But she did it because she'd been let free of so much. God had delivered her from so much. She didn't care what all these Pharisees thought about her. She only cared about what her Savior thought about her. And she was willing to worship him no matter what somebody else thought. Some of us need to get set free to worship, to experience God's presence. Don't wait until you get to heaven to first really worship God. You can worship him right here. In fact, his prayer that Jesus gave us is let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. He's looking for some worshipers who ain't waiting till heaven. Man, somebody got to get set free today. Take a chance. Step out in faith. What if somebody hears me sing? What if God never does? I'd be much more concerned about God not hearing me sing than somebody else in the room hearing you sing. Man, you're, if you can't worship Jesus around other believers, how can you ever live for him when, you, when you're out there in the world around people who don't serve him? What if I come down for prayer? What if I show that, that, that there's something wrong in my life? Can we just be real? Every one of us got something wrong with our life. There ain't a person in this room who's sitting back there like, oh, I didn't know Elizabeth needed prayer. Oh, my gosh. I, I thought Elizabeth had it all together, right? Like, man, if, you, if that's what you thought, you ain't met Elizabeth, right? Like, that's just, I'm not, I'm not clowning Elizabeth. I love Elizabeth. She's on my communication team, and she's amazing. I'm grateful for her. I've come down for prayer like three times already. Now, yeah, my mom was dying, and it was a rough season. I probably won't be coming down three out of every four Sundays for forever. But I'm going to come down for prayer. I ain't got it all together, and neither do you. Don't worry about what somebody's going to think. Man, think about what might happen if you do. We're so worried about what might happen, what somebody might think, and so we stay where we're at. Start thinking about what might, what might I miss out on if I don't. What, what blessing does God have for me? What benefit does he have? What answer does God have for me that I'm going to miss out on? What am I stealing from one of these prayer partners that God's going to bless them for going before God on my behalf, but I'm not giving them a chance to use their gift? See, it ain't just about you. It's about you. But it ain't just about you. What, what if I start tithing and I can't pay my bills? I'm just guess, I'm, I'm going to give this little bit that I give. I'm going to give when, when I can, when I got some extra. God loves me anyway. Yeah, he does. And not tithing is not going to keep you out of heaven. If anybody ever tells you it will, that you can buy your way into heaven, that is not the truth. That is not the gospel. That is not what this is about. Tithing is about inviting God into your finances and recognizing, just like Hunter said with his time, he said, I had less time, but it felt like I had more. Tithing says, I'm going to have less money, but I believe it's going to be worth it. That God is going to provide. We get all these fears of all these things. What if we just step out in faith? What if we just take a chance and see what God can do? What if I start to serve in Kids City and the kids don't like me? None of us here are that prideful that we're worried about a kid not liking us, are we? Yeah. Yeah. What if you don't serve? And there's a kid in there that God has designed for you to step in as a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. 
and they miss out on that opportunity because you didn't. I'm not saying everybody's got to serve in Kansas City. I'm just saying if God's leading you to it, if it's on your heart, if the Holy Spirit has placed a conviction there and you're saying, no, 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 for all these reasons, man, take a chance for God and see what he could do. See how he'll show up in your life. What, what, if, what if I tell somebody about Jesus and nobody gets saved? What if they think I'm that, that weirdo Christian? What if I share my faith? What if you don't? What if nobody ever tells me about Jesus? If I can be real transparent and honest with you today, I did not want to do my mom's funeral. I really didn't. I, I was this close to telling my dad no. Because, I mean, that's a, that's a position I don't want to be in. That's a conversation I don't want to have. We've got a lot of pastors connected to my family. Somebody else could do the funeral, and it'll be okay. But I had a conviction that I was supposed to go. There was going to be family in that room that I may never get a chance to share the gospel with in this wedding. And if I turn that opportunity down, I will always dig myself a grave and regret it. Little did I know when I agreed to do the funeral that the day that I did the funeral, there was somebody who would be at that funeral who found out that day that they had cancer. I didn't know that. God did. How many people find out that they have cancer and that day they get to hear the gospel? That day they get to hear somebody point them to Jesus' salvation and his provision. I would have missed that opportunity had I said, no, this is too uncomfortable. This is too hard. This is too much pressure. This is, this is too uneasy for me. Somebody else can do it. And I'm not saying you got to do everything. I'm not saying you got to preach every funeral. I'm not, I'm not saying you got to serve in every ministry. Nobody can. What I am saying is when you know the Holy Spirit is pulling on you and is drawing you to do it, are you going to shrink back because it's uncomfortable, shrink back because it's something you've never done before, shrink back because it's, it's uneasy and you've got all these things that could go wrong? Are you going to step out in courage and in faith and take a chance that maybe this is the day that God could use you, that maybe this is the way God can do something new in your life? What is that? It's making room. It's opening the door. It's saying, God, I'm a willing vessel, just like Mary did. God, I, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't understand how I'm going to do this. I don't understand how I'm going to preach this funeral. I don't understand how I'm going to work with them kids. Right? I don't understand how the finances are going to add up if I begin to honor you and do what you're asking me to. But I love you enough, and I'm obedient enough, and I will step out in faith and trust you that you will show up. Sometimes I think the, the problem with us reading stories in Scripture is, we become so familiar, we know how it turns out. And we miss the human emotions in the minute of it. We, we, we think, well, David stepped up and he said, I'm going to take out this, this giant because he was a man of faith. And we build him up into these superheroes and these super Christians. When the reality is, I guarantee you, there was a voice somewhere in the back of David's head that said, who do you think you are? You're a shepherd boy. This is a warrior. You know how many people he's killed? You know how many soldiers' lives he's ended and you think you? You ain't ever even been on the battlefield. You can't even carry some armor. You think you're going to be the one to take it. I guarantee you the enemy was speaking to David. We, th we, we think that these people had this superhuman faith. We think Peter looked at that water and was like, yo, I'm hopping out there. And I'm, I'm going to run down the sidewalk to Jesus. Right? When, when the reality is there was a voice in the back of his head saying, you realize no person has ever done what you're about to try to do. You got 11 disciples in this boat who are going to laugh at you. They're going to hold this over your head if you ever even get out of the water. It's a storm, right? 
He, he could die. But he took a chance. He did something nobody had ever done before. Something we're talking about 2,000 years later. Would you dare? Would you dare to take a chance and be used by God? Would you dare to open your mouth? Would you dare to step forward and step out in faith? Take a chance. I want to super fast give you three challenges, three ways that you can take a chance for God before we go. Write these down super, super fast, and I'll let you out of here. Number one, I want to challenge everybody in this room this week to step out in faith to share. Step out to share your faith. Step out to share your faith. Somebody in your world needs to hear about Jesus. It might be somebody you've shared your faith with before. I don't know who it is. The Holy Spirit will tell you. The Holy Spirit will put them on your heart. If you, if you, you might have to ask. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. Well, I don't know who to tell them about Jesus. When's the last time you asked God, God, who should I tell? Right? Put it before him. He will let you know. He will bring them into your life. The, the scary part about asking is it might be more than one person. It might not be the person that you want it to be. It might be somebody that's scary. Right? Like, that's, that's why we don't ask. It's not that we don't ask because we think it's nobody. We know it's somebody. We, would you dare to just ask God? Would you have the faith to just open it up and say, God, who do you want me to share it with? Maybe he'll tell you to talk to that person behind the counter at Kroger. I ain't. Somebody doing self-checkout all week just to be safe. Uh, somebody's got a revelation. Uh, no danger here. Please let this work so that person don't have to come over here to reset the thing. In Jesus' name, let this work. Hallelujah. Right? <laughs> step out to share your faith. Number two, I'm going to challenge you to step forward in one spiritual discipline. I don't know which one it needs to be. God's going to tell you. And so I'm not going to challenge you to, you need to start tithing and you need to start praying and you need to get in the word and you need to step out and worship. I'm not going to give you this whole list of things because if I give you the whole list, you're not going to do any of it. Because it's just overwhelming. It's like I can't even, where do I even start? Start with one. Just ask God, what's the one I need to take a step forward in right now? Is it, is it prayer? Is it the word? Is it worship? Is it giving? What, what is it? Is it serving? I don't know what it is, but, but God will tell you. But whatever one he lays on your heart, I want to challenge you this week, take a step in it. You might even think it's a strength and be like, man, God, I thought I had that one under control. And God's like, I got a whole new level for you to go to. I got, a, I got a whole new step that we haven't even unpacked yet that I want to use this for in your life where it might be something you've never done at all. And it's scary to take that first step. Step out in faith. And whatever, in one spiritual discipline. And lastly, I want to challenge you to step out to try something that you know God has for you that you've been scared to try. And that's really open-ended. You might be like, hey, well, that's point one and two. So I already got those. Check, check. Ready to go. Uh, but maybe it's something totally unlike anything that I've talked about. Give me some examples, Pastor Troy. Maybe it's confessing a problem you had and bringing it out in the open. Talked a lot about mental illness lately. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some counseling. Maybe it's not a mental illness. Maybe it's an addiction or a habit. And nobody knows. And everybody thinks you're at this level with God, but you know I've got this thing. That's holding you back. That's destroying you. And you know you're supposed to tell somebody. You've gotten so close so many times. And you just haven't quite brought it out into the light. This week. This week I'm going to tell God. God, I realize I'm going to die. And I don't want to take this thing with me to church. I don't want this thing to be with me the rest of my life. 
And so I'm going to have the courage and the faith to step out, even if it's awkward, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it affects some things in my life. I'm going to go to war with this thing. Maybe it's something unlike any of that. I don't know what it might be. Maybe, maybe he's been calling you to go back to school. Maybe he's been calling you to pursue a new education. Maybe he's been calling you into a new ministry, into a mission field, whatever that might be. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. You know what thing that God's had on your heart that you've been so hesitant to step out to do. Take a step this week. Take a chance for God. What do you have to lose? You make, make a big list there. I got a whole lot of things to lose. Start listing what you have to gain. What kind of freedom you might have. What kind of joy you might discover. What kind of fulfillment. What kind of impact you might make if you would simply trust God and step out of your comfort zone. Out of your experience. Out of what you've always done before and say, God, I'm going to die one day. But before that happens, however long you give me, I choose to live. And I'm going to live for you. I'm going to take a chance for you. And I'm going to see you do something great in my life. Would you make room for God to do something new. Try these two things and watch what God does. In Jesus' name, would you pray with me?